you know what? <clears throat> I, I think that I might be live. Not entirely confident, but uh, you know, it's always a there's, a there's always a chance that if I press that big button, I end up being live. Hello, everyone. E can you hear me? Am I here? Am I around? <laughs> I can. I can. There are people saying hello. Uh, sincere apologies for everyone listening to this in podcast form only. Um, this particular episode is probably going to be really, really quite something uh, in terms of pushing the boundaries of what doesn't work in audio-only format. However, we will all do our best. This is it. It's it, yeah. It's our first. Wait a minute. Let me press this button first, which is which will make my face appear. I'm in the corner. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello. Oh my golly. Oh, so uh, yeah. How, I mean, this it, it seems to be kicking off. Things are moving. People are saying hello. Excellent. Right. Welcome to episode 25, the 26th episode of Rail Natter. Uh, we are live. Well, I say we. I mean just me, and then all of you lovely lot on the on the feed. Um, this episode is going to be, uh, it's going to be, okay, it's going to be a relaxed freestyle episode again. We're going to roll on the chat, kind of ride on, on all your general natterings. Um, it's nice and, and peaceful. Uh, we're, we don't have a guest that I have to not be an embarrassment in front of. Um, so all I can say is this is going to be, this should be nice. It should be a nice relaxed episode, which will work for all the people viewing this live and will be a dreadful piece of media for everyone watching it or listening to it after the fact. However, uh, we're going to press on. Um, yeah, so this is this episode is going to be the engineer's guide to being a good crayonista. Uh, well, actually, not in its entirety. It's probably going to be part one of a series on being an, a good crayonista because... I quite like these being uh, a bit of an open forum, but also uh, <laughs> I've got a funny feeling this won't be an exhaustive episode in one hour, and I'm only going to ramp it up. So we're going to start with a fairly woolly outline of what crane staying is uh, and how it needs to, how, how a lot of people are quite bad at it, uh, and then maybe think a little bit on some of the things we can do within our power to improve it using some of the tools that are easily available and some of the tools that I'm going to give you. Hooray, free stuff. Um, yeah, so that's, that's the plan. Before we, uh, well, in fact, you know what, let's, 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 just, let's just kick off. Let, let's get the intro going. Uh, welcome to tonight's Rail Natter. Hopefully it'll be fun. Who knows? Hopefully I've set the video up so that the intro vid works nicely. It's, it's all going fine. It's all going fine. City 225. Isn't that nice? As it fades out, let's bring in my massive ugly mug. Hello everyone, hello, hello. I'm, I, I just did that at the point where I'm going to drink some water, which is really good timing. How are you all this evening? Are you all well? Uh, there's lots of nice, there's, there's 50 of you joining. Hello to all of you um, and hello to new uh, patron supporters. A few of you have, have um, joined and are supporting me. Absolutely, I mean, thank you so much. Uh, honestly, it's, it's great. Um, it allows me to justify keep keep doing these because so far we've done one every week uh, since these started, and I'd like to keep that going even if it involves a few pre-records for holidays. Um, but at some point, 
it's gonna yeah it, it it's gonna potentially get harder uh to for all sorts of reasons so it's useful to have that support have your support also i enjoy your tips and steers and, and suggestions it's very good um so uh what are we going to talk about tonight well first of all we obviously have to do uh, we obviously have to do the news so what is the news well firstly oh wait i don't want to do that i want to do this because we haven't got a guest I need to fix my OBS. It broke when I got a new computer and it, I've never quite sorted it out. Anyway. Oh, and I've also put tra latest transport usage stats with my face in front of it. Let's do that instead. So the news, right, the news. So uh, post-COVID, a monthly schedule would be cool. That's a fair point, Sarah. Um, I don't know. I, I quite enjoy doing it. I, I, if I can sustain it weekly, I'd like to do it weekly because I think it keeps a bit, bit of momentum. There's a chance They don't always have to be an hour long or an hour and a half or two hours long. Uh, maybe they'll, they'll shorten up a bit once COVID settles a bit. But I, I, don't know, I quite like them being weekly. It, it feels like a, a good routine. So um, I don't know if any of you have been spotting. I've been updating the permanent rail engineering sort of uh, GB rail trends graphs showing um, how transport usage has been varying through lockdown and through you know, post lockdown and kind of whatever we are in now. So um, firstly, the green line for cycling. There's been a nice spike recently presumably because of a bit of holidaying, but broadly cycling is, and it looks like it, the trajectory is once again to return to pretty much pre-COVID levels, which is reasonably depressing. Uh, road vehicles, so that's, you know, cars, HGVs, taxis, uh, they, they appears, so if you look at the kind of the, the, the mean uh, kind of through that, the, the trend line you can see on the graph now, uh, it appears that actually it's topping out just below 100%. Um, read into that what you will. Bus services, you know, it makes sense, frankly, you know, look at look at road, sorry, jump back to private vehicles. It makes sense that it kind of tops out. Um, uh, yes, we've got uh, kind of, you know, not as many people are traveling. So you do, although more are driving in different sort of, set, it's all a bit of a mess, but it does appear to have kind of topped out just below 100%, which is quite interesting. Then we've got bus services, excluding TFL, um, because it makes the numbers easier. Uh, and it's a pretty steady climb, to be honest. Uh, you know, it's more week it impacted more um, uh, kind of by weekend versus weekday, steadily climbing. As for national rail services, so I've got this dashed line that's my projected line, which is basically based, it's essentially a, a best fit, a straight line best fit for the point at which the, um, uh, the point at which policy sort of stabilized a bit um on and, and also the line was fairly stable so it's it's and kind of essentially it gives 100 percent kind of so it puts us back to the 2019 baseline by the end of this year um and it's interesting if nothing else as a comparison to see what what actually is happening and you can see there's a bit of a dip last week but actually it's climbing quite sharply again back towards that trend line so i don't know we're, we're nearly at 40 percent uh, in terms of national rail services um yeah, so a bit of a bit of a strange one. Someone, who did, uh, David Shepard just asked, why are why am I excluding TfL? What's what are the London buses doing that is weird? Uh, there are some big gaps in the data for some reason. So so you'd end up with artificial lump jumps and then drops again. So um, better, I've just picked out one of the data sets, and the, the data is there for anyone to download on the DFT website. So um, uh, yes, uh, Michael C asks how this data is gathered. It's picked up using. Actually, there are different methodologies for each of the different um, data sets. So I'd recommend, again, you can go on the DFT website. Uh, the link on the, if you go to Permanent Rail on Twitter, um, the thread there has the links to the data set and you can read through the methodologies on there. 
but they're cycling is from local authority count data road vehicles are from the highways uh, england uh, count data and similar for other places uh, buses is from those bus companies that have a certain type of ticketing system that's wound into the uh, into providing open data i think and then national rail services is from the same system that the dft have used for a long time and um, that's not hugely reliable on a short-term basis so it, it's not actually something to pay a huge amount of attention to week on week in honesty you want to be looking at the, the monthly numbers but them's the figures so it's interesting to compare certainly there's no sign of an obvious let up in the climb uh uh, you know, there, there are a few people who are painting absolute doom and gloom as if we're going to be seeing years of this and it's not, and there's some total normal, you know, the, the, the new normal is 40% of people traveling by train. Um, this does two things. Number one, uh, it's do lally and completely forgets that we've got a climate crisis coming up and also seems to be ignoring the data and appears to be a little bit self-serving because you can create a, a bit of a storm in a teacup. Number two, it completely ignores what's happening in other parts of the world. For example, Europe, the rest of Europe, where uh, rail services are, you know, rail service usage, passenger uh, numbers are climbing dramatically thanks to a load of sensible policy decisions. The other reason the numbers aren't climbing more dramatically in the UK is because everything that this government has done in response to the crisis, absolutely everything, has been shambolic, and that includes its reaction in terms of transport policy. Anyway, um, uh, yes, uh, Detour, you're right. Uh, I do need to be careful fitting lines with statisticians are watching. That's why I'm very clear that it's more, it's a straight line showing, it's essentially a straight line showing what the trajectory needs to be for us to reach normal by the end of the year. There's no more science to it than that. It broadly fits on, the, uh, on a gradient that was happening beforehand, but it's not claiming to be an accurate projection. It's not, it's just to give a rough idea of when, if that rate continues, we could see services return to normal because no one else had done it yet. But very good point. Um, continue to at me uh, in the YouTube comments, by the way, because I'll spot your questions very easily. Um, let's have a look. Uh, yes, Oyster does allow more accurate data on passenger stats, David Shepard, yes. Uh, yeah, for example, yeah, Thomas Wood points out Belgium announced a free set of rail tickets for all residents. I think they get 12 or 20 free. They get a carnet, essentially, and they get 20 free journeys or 12 free journeys. It's a fantastic opportunity, opportunity to kind of encourage people back onto rail and remind them, oh, yeah, this is a railway. Oh, they're pretty good, aren't they? That's fine. The issue is uh, we have a treasury that is completely incompetent and rooted in the same attitudes and ideologies that have been there for about 400 years. So until we abolish the treasury, we're not going to see sensible decisions like that being made. Uh, and short of that, the DFT have no spines to actually stand up to the treasury. The treasury are pushing back on the idea of any sort of fares reduction, despite the fact that what that means is that fewer people are going to travel by train. There needs to be... You know, we have a, a ticketing system that has the potential that should be demand responsive, so that all the fares should drop until capacity is reached. You know, and then they can climb again once capacity is re reached. That's clearly not happening. Absolutely, do lally. Um, yes, let's have a look. So, uh, anyway, right, the news. Oh, we're already quarter of an hour in, and this is this is it, it's escalated already. So, next bit of news: uh, Hyperloop continues to be absolute junk. Uh, yes, so there have been a few um, puff pieces about Hyperloop coming out uh, recently, coincidentally at the same time that the first proper detailed look at the technology only, so not the system, not the wider kind of operational model, but just looking at the technology, um, uh, the first proper decent report has, has, has come out. Um, and it's by ACOM, big engineering uh, baddies ACOM, who in fairness have concluded something pretty explicitly, uh, and that is that it's junk. 
so I'm not going to read out what's on. In fact, maybe I will. Key findings. This is the, this is the key findings in the executive summary. So this is the summary of their key findings. One key conclusion based on the evidence gathered is that Hyperloop as a mode has not yet been fully conceptualized. Many of the questions investigated could not be answered because the technology is not sufficiently mature, has insufficient information or design options, or in some cases, an absence of initial ideas. Um, and the last, this, this last paragraph is also good. With so many unknown aspects remaining, it is difficult to determine if Hyperloop will become a viable mode of transportation. Based on this assessment, several technical components are in the very early stages of development and likely years away from functional realisation. So this is poo-pooing the technology only. They, they very briefly refer to capacity, but only as a means of an assessing technology. They haven't looked at the overall pointlessness of, of Hyperloop. So even on technological merit, it's um, a load of crap. So that's nice, isn't it? Um, uh, right, so uh, let's have a thing. Oh, there's some discussion about sleeper as well. You wait until the tease for next week's uh, episode. Anyway, right, so that's that. Oh, yeah, some of you have already referenced this. So I did a video today, or I pushed out a video today um, from my recent visit to the Rail Museum uh, and how to do that during COVID times. Uh, yeah, the Rail Museum is open. Go and visit it. It's brilliant. It's still as brilliant as ever. Yes, the warehouse is closed at the moment. Um, they're looking at ways to, to, to open that potentially with you know, one-way systems and stuff. But actually, it's quite difficult to do that. You'll end up getting lost, uh, trapped in a one-way system and just infecting everyone around you. So uh, I think it's sensible that's closed for now until they can think of a really sensible way to deal with it. But there's some exciting things happening. You know, there's some uh, you know, new exhibits potentially coming in the future, but also they've rejuged a few things. Um, everything in the stations hall's got a proper good polish. Um, it's looking great. The museum's looking fantastic. And it was really busy when I was there, actually. Fair play. Um, do I know if Shildon is open? Mike Woolridge asks. Yes, Shildon is also open. Uh, Shildon was quite a lot easier for them to implement a one-way system. So actually it opened earlier than the Rail Museum did, uh, I believe. So yeah, definitely uh, you know the York site, that is. So definitely uh, drop into either Shildon or uh, the York Rail Museum. Both, uh, yeah, Locomotion, rather, I should be saying. So Locomotion and the Rail Museum, both open. Both very much worth a visit. Um, again, I think it's probably the same system for, for locomotion and children where you, you, know, you book ahead on the website and then you turn up at your allotted time, wear a mask, all that good stuff. Um, Sarah, what, what's this discussion about Thai food? This is, it's descended. The, the, the chat has already descended. Uh, yes, Robert Haynes points out, this is about as close professional engineers get to stop bothering us with your nonsense. Yep, agree fully with that, Robert. Um, what's the next thing in the news since it's 15 minutes past? The progress train. Yes, uh, keep voting for progress, essentially. Um, the, I don't know when the vote closes. I think it's in a week or two. So go on to uh, uh, Avanti West Coast Trains or whatever their website is, slash Pride, where you can click there and vote for uh, the name that you think the train should be called. Now, I do not think it should be called, uh, be named after a person. Not, not you know, there are some noble people out there who, who've had their name suggested, but I think that this train is bigger than one person. It's... It, you know, by extension, it's bigger than one group of people as well. Uh, and if you named it, uh, you know, for example, after the great Alan Turing, that exclu potentially excludes, you know, he was part of the LGBTQ plus community, but to name a train after a, a gay man potentially excludes a lot of other people. So I think it needs a name that, that kind of goes above that, which is why I think progress is brilliant. Progress also isn't the end of the show, uh, more like it's sort of this, it's indicating that we've done something, but actually there's more to do. I just think it's a great name. It really is a great name. Uh, full marks to Charlie for coming up with it and press ganging a lot of us into 
uh, press ganging a lot of us into pushing it on the various social media platforms we do or do not have. Um, anyway, right, so that's the news. I'm going to bring my face back because I can. Hello. I'm a bit pink. Right, let's just, uh, there we go, let's just bring a bit of that. Bring a bit of that. Well, that's a bit bleachy. How's that? That's no good. Oh, maybe that. There, that's a bit, still a bit red, isn't it? I really need one of those like light, light rings to, to sort of make it all a bit, oh, it's a bit bleachy. There we go. Anyway, enough of that. Absolutely great content here for those joining us uh, late. <laughs> anyway, uh, any thoughts? Um, let's have a look at uh, the chat. Uh, lots of chat going on. Josh Ritchie, uh, which cheaper third rail or OLE for electrification? Uh, generally OLE because you don't have to build those substations. Um, oh, there, yeah, this is the definition of Korean Easter. I found this on rail forums, so thanks to the rail forums people. Um, I'll be a proper left tuber if I set up two differently coloured lights. Oh, it's true. And red, I don't mind everything being red. If I get, get a red filter on the light, that'll be quite good. Anyway, so, cranes. Is, is crane Easter a real word? No, not really. This is a definition I found on rail forums. A crane Easter, uh, crane Easter, noun. One who performed, wait a minute, let me just start that again. Let me put on my best um, H2G2 voice. <coughs> crane Easter, noun. One who performs strategic transport planning with a box of coloured crayons, using them to draw lines on a map without thinking through the implications. So uh, yeah, that quite nicely, neat, uh, nice and neatly sums up what uh, Crayonista is. And you'll notice in this episode, I didn't say how not to be a Crayonista. I said, I said we're going to how, how we're going to be bet, how we're going to be better Crayonistas. Uh, yeah, so we're not necessarily going to relinquish this wonderful title because ultimately, what we're going to be doing a bit of tonight is very much scribbling with crayons on a map. I just want us to be able to do it a bit better. Um, so I've got a list. I've got a kind of a list that I made up about 10 minutes ago um, of things that I think we should do when we're improving our crayon easting. But also, hopefully, I'll, do, I'll give some hints to some of you who do enjoy drawing lines on a map as to how to do it better. I'll talk through some of the tools that I, I, I use and also some of the things that I make, I will make that, that in fact are still available. You can, you can download these now off uh, the Permanent Rail Engineering website. Um, we'll go through some of these and, and how to use them, what the different kind of tool bits mean in it. Anyway, right, let's do that. So that's the definition of Crane Easter. The next thing we're going to mash is... Uh, okay, so th this is a list of seven bullet points. The first thing you need to do if you're suggesting a new railway is you need to know, you need to, you know, need to know what it's for. You need to really think about what it's for. Um, so, <laughs> yes. So let's have a think. So this covers a few different things. So, so here's some, I, I, this, this, this slide is in red, which means it's bad. These are some things that uh, generally aren't good enough as ideas for why the, a railway should exist. Um, for example, to join station A to station B. Well, that, that in and of itself is not, not really cutting it. It's a missing link. Nope, that, that means nothing on its own. It was a railway line before. No, that's a big red flag there. That does not justify the reopening of a new line. You know, as I've said before in a previous episode, uh, we should be reopening no new railway, uh, no railway lines. We should be opening new lines that might happen to make use of a former track bed for some, some or all of their length. Uh, of course, the big baddie at the bottom there, it was beaching what done it. I need to get my um, QI beaching klaxon, actually, don't I? That, that, that is uh, an action on me so that I can have the beaching klaxon QI style appear. Anyway, those are all bad things. Um, Joshua, uh, 
lovely to have you on board. Um, there will be an episode on Isle of Wight history, but that, I, 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 well, I'll answer any Isle of Wight questions on that one, I think. So um, maybe pause the Isle of Wight questions. Thanks. Uh, Sarah, you're coughing Bradford Crossrail very loudly. Yes, we'll, we'll get there. Um, it, it looks fine when you do it on a map, apart from all the bulldozing. Uh, it does not look good on a map when you look at the um, the OS uh, kind of uh, height, you know, the, 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 the contour lines. Not good. Anyway, right, that was red. Let's look at some green things. So here are some things that I consider Crane East make good, short, snappy Crane East justifications. Number one, there's a dual carriageway, but no parallel railway line. Yeah, that is a good enough reason for there to be a railway in my eyes. If you have a dual carriageway, that means that there is some, in some world, there's a justification, and, and, you know, there's a justification for not single carriageway-ing the dual carriageway. Uh, then there is clearly enough traffic to justify a railway line. If you have a dual carriageway and there is no parallel railway, there should be. In my eyes, as simple as that. This is Crane Easting. We're not building a detailed DFT strategic business case. Um, another reason, population center X is completely unserved. Yeah, that is actually a really good reason to think about how a railway might serve it, particularly if there's a decent sized number of people there. We'll get to that in a minute. Number three on this little short list, uh, forget business cases. Yeah, 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 I don't give a stuff about business cases. Uh, business cases are for deciding what pet color you're gonna paint the uh, bridge or which side of the station you, you're perhaps gonna put the, uh, the station building. It is not for deciding, strategic, making strategic decisions about what a railway should look like. So I don't care about business cases uh, at all. Uh, we're, we're Crane Easters here. We're not, uh, we're not trying to justify to a, an already broken system uh, what, the, what a railway should look like. For me, this is about inspiring people with sensible proposals for railways that may, maybe then an official campaign can get behind and then actual positive things involving maybe this kind of jumping through the DFT's hoops. Maybe that can start happening. But at this stage, we're, we're Crane Easters. We don't care about business cases. We care about thinking sensibly and strategically about what railways might be a good idea. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's think about what it's for. Number two, think about what it's for again. <laughs> uh, this needs two. So, uh, yeah, so there you are. Think about what it's for again. Why have I said that? Well, a variety of reasons, actually. Um, for example, you could use population density as a, as a way of justifying a sensible place to put railways. And in fact, uh, there's a, a, very, um, a very clever chap. I'm currently doing some work with this on. Uh, and I, I'm sure you won't mind if I tease uh, a very low-res version of the map that we've been working on, which does precisely this. It's trying to put some science behind making a justification for areas that are underserved by rail. So. Um, these are areas that, so this map shows areas that are, I believe it's 10 kilometers away from a railway station, um, but also have a sufficient population density, uh, you know, up to a certain level, uh, I think. You know, and, and you can see some orange, some darker orange blobs. Those are townships, so sort of settlements that have a population of over, I think, either 5K or 10K. And so you can start to see some fairly large orange blotches, uh, for those of you who got this on full screen. Um, and, so, for, so you can see, uh, for example, Peterhead and Fraserburgh stand out. I think Ilfracombe is on there as well, and Biddeford as well, uh, down at the bottom. There is I know well. Uh, what else? Yeah, you've got this. So Cardigan appears to have uh, have a, a, a dark uh, orange patch around it. There are some 
so there are some issues on this. So, for example, the the um, Tanimui Metro, I think, isn't included in this data set at this point. So th this is a work in progress, of course, so don't go shouting about it. But you can see some issues. In fact, Campbellton, quite nicely, the Malacan Tire is missing a railway. That's probably one of the exceptions because it's, it's a really, you know, it's one small town difficult to serve. Um, but, uh, for example, if you look uh, at the line on the south of Dumfries and Galloway, or rather the lack of one, actually it looks very much like there's a, a missing link there. And the borders uh, as well, you know, the Scottish borders. And actually, uh, looking at that, you can see that um, Angus uh, and sort of the areas, you know, around Forfar, north of Dundee, that appears to be a, a missing link in terms of reasonably large population centres not served by a railway line. So, so yeah, some interesting little uh, things to pick out there. So you have to do, uh, you have to do some thinking about, uh, you know, more thinking. Think, 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 think about the the reason why that railway is there. It cannot be just because there was one there before. Is it because of freight reasons? Yeah, well, it might well be. Um, so there are some tools out there that you can use to do to look at some of this stuff. So I, I've brought up here uh, a chap. I'm very happy to call a friend, Mike. Uh, Mike won't be watching this. But I'll tell him that this is on and he might watch it after the fact. Um, but you can go and find this. Hopefully it won't overload his... his um, I'll put the links to, to this website in the in the description. Hopefully it won't overload his server. Um, I think it's on Carto, so it should be fine. This is a map um, basically plotting postcodes and their distance from railway stations. So in isolation, this, this is just looking at distances. This isn't looking at population density. Um, however, it does provide some interesting... It does provide some really interesting data. I mean, for example, you know, you go Hoik is and, and Peebles and Kelso here are particularly obviously missing uh, access to a station. If we go up to there we are. So there's Dundee by the look of it. There we are. There's Dundee. Can everyone see this nice and clearly? By the way, let me know. Um. So and then obviously you know you've got Fraser and Peterhead here. They're very obvious uh, dark patches. Let's zoom in a little bit more. I know the, the text is probably a bit small, but um, oof, there we are. Actually, that's, that's probably that's fine. Peterhead, Fraser were very underserved. Um, let's go down. Where else have we got? So Danoon there. Well, Danoon's a tricky one, isn't it? So the thing is, you have to apply a bit of common sense to this. And and but if you you, know, you trace around, you know, Withensea and Hornsey are pretty poorly uh, served. You know, they're 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 fairly large settlements without a rail. Uh, connection Pocklington and in fact a very obvious dense line uh, following the route of the, the York Hull line actually or the York Beverly line or near to it so that's uh, worth noting and the reason you have to think about that is because this might steer where you put your so this 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 helps inform why not to use an exist necessarily use an existing track bed what else have we got going on here let's let's head down south so yeah you can see uh, the, the North Cornwall coast and, and kind of yeah the Cornwall coast so Ilfcombe's you know uh, Biddeford there, Bude, uh, Padstow, yeah, serious lack of uh, rail connectivity where there really ought to be some. And actually, there are some there are some gaps uh, in some other spots as well that you might not expect. So, um, if we go up to you, know, you see Wisbeach there is a, an obvious gap. Uh, the coast of uh, it's Lincolnshire, isn't it? The Lincolnshire coast there is big gaps. But actually, there are some gaps in and around. So there, there are some gaps. Uh, between in, in the York Leeds Harrogate triangle that, that are quite a fairly populous but without anyone in them so there's some interesting stuff so this is a really good website to go in have a good look um, anyone wanting to go and see see what they think uh, any, any suggestions for, for locations we should go and have a look at on this uh, little website it's very good anyway that is that so 
what other data have we got? Well, so we've had some, there's, there's a distinct lack of links in the description for me. Yeah, there isn't, I haven't put them in the, in the description yet. Uh, the URL for this is, let's just, let's just bring the URL up actually. Uh, it's Mike, mikerspencer.carto.com. Oh, you know what, the easiest thing to do is to search Mike Spencer railway station postcodes and you'll get the, you'll get the, you get the link pretty easily from there. I'll, I'll add it in the description afterwards. So uh, let's have, what else? So, ah, David Shepard, you say population centre X is not served, but how about building Crane Easter railways from overpopulated areas to potential suburbs? Uh, yeah, that's not necessarily a, a bad idea. The only issue with that is that then you're, you're, you're second guessing more than one thing. So second guessing a railway as a Crane East is fine, but um, second guessing a railway without an existing uh, sort of pr even a proposal for new housing starts making you look a bit foolish. So there's like a there's like a line at which you can there's only so much that you can second guess. And if you want to start second guessing housing, of course, housing and transport are totally tied together. You can't you can't split them apart. Um, but what I'd recommend then is get someone who's a housing nerd and get them involved and see where they would suggest housing should go. And then you can together sit in long nights sharing a sharing a kombucha and proposing railways together. What else? Right. So David Shepard. How visible, uh, how, how viable are Crane Easter railway tunnels to islands like the Isle of Wight? The thing is, those are major single point capital projects, and you can suggest as many of them as you like. They require a lot of detailed assessment without all the fun of drawing a railway line because the vast majority of them is a, a straight bit. So what, it doesn't feel like Crane Easting. What it feels like is project proposals, which you know have their merit or not or otherwise. For example, a lot of people have asked me to do a um, where is it? To talk about doing a connecting tunnel between uh, the the British mainland and the Irish mainland, you know, the island of Ireland. Uh, I, I'm resisting, much as I might do it eventually, I'm resisting because there are all sorts of engineering reasons why that's a bonkers thing to do. Uh, and it's far better to invest, you know, it's far better to concentrate engineering skill on expanding the railways in Northern Ireland than it is to build a huge high-speed tunnel connecting the two. Um, However, you know, there may be merits in such a project. Uh, that's, that kind of feels like not Crane Easting, but doing something different. Good question, though. Uh, let's have a look. New Metroland, oh, indeed. No, no, Chris McKenna, no, no harm in a new Metroland, but I think it involves find yourself a housing nerd, and there are loads of them on Twitter, and they're, they're probably very lonely people. So find them uh, and pal up with them, and then do some Crane Easting together. That's my suggestion on that front. So... What else? Oh, there, there was a question earlier. Uh, John Christoph asks, what about situations where there is a line already, but not in the right direction? For example, perimeter lines around cities with lots of existing radial lines. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, so that's not an unreasonable reason to, to kind of come up with a, a new railway. Uh, for example, London orbitals. Uh, so that's where you start looking at freight justification. And you might want to start uh, to do that. For example, you can go on to open train times or real time trains and start looking at how many freight trains pass through a given station. Uh, or indeed, that's a justification for new bypass lines. If you look at a passenger railway station, look how many trains pass through without stopping at peak time. And if you have a peak time service with maybe one or two trains and most things are passing through, chances are that railway station is horrendously underserved. And hopefully HS2 will solve its problem, but it could be the case that it's on a, in an area where you need new additional high-speed segregation. So that's all that. Here's, the, here's that map. So number three... This kind of feeds into don't just reuse old alignments. There's more to creating railway lines than just reusing old alignments. That's not a reason to 
uh, not use them at all. It might well be that they provide a very useful way to dodge a lot of built-up area. However, they shouldn't. You shouldn't just default to oh, recreate that old railway and job done, finished. So, uh, oh, what's my next point? Oh yeah, and so these are all going to lead into the bit where I bring Google Earth up. Uh, don't just bulldoze everything. That's a kind of an obvious one. Oh, and mimic real railway geometry. Okay, we'll come to that. So the first two, don't just reuse all the alignments, but also don't just bulldoze everything. Those are fairly obvious, I think. However, let's bring up Google Earth. Here we are. Oh, let's switch that off. Don't worry about um, don't worry about that. So there's all sorts of things going on there. My plan actually tonight was to potentially look at... There's a gap here. It's quite a big gap. And it needs a railway line to connect between it. So... This is York. This is lovely York. There I am. There's, there's, there's our lovely city of York with its railway lines pinging in and out. Um, and you've got uh, you've got Pocklington, you've got Market Wheaton, and then you've got Beverly down here. And they are, there is a, a decided lack of connection between the two. So if I click this button here, this is the former railway connecting the two, going from York across to through Pocklington, into Market Wheaton, and over to Beverly. The reason this is important isn't just because it's a good idea to connect those two up. If anyone knows uh, York and... This is where local knowledge is useful, by the way. If anyone knows York and Hull, they'll know that Hull Road connecting the two is incredibly horrendously busy, like phenomenally busy. It has a bus service, and all the buses get stuck in the traffic, and the traffic is awful coming into York, and indeed anywhere along that line, particularly uh, kind of between Pocklington and, uh, and, and York. It's just, it's just slow-moving traffic. It's rubbish. Uh, turn on place names. I could do that, couldn't I? Let's go for this. No, not that one. Which is... It's the labels. Populated places. There we are. Trouble is, it's a bit... No, I'm not going to turn on place names because it's... It's okay. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Fine. Place names have been switched on. Is that still clear for everyone? Uh, it's a very straight railway line at the bottom of the screen. Yeah, the um, the the Selby to to Hull line, or basically Selby Bruff, is a is a really rather straight bit of railway. It's quite nice. Uh, I mean, it's a bit underrun. Uh, it should be electrified, but that's kind of by the by. Anyway, we're going to come back to um, kind of, we're going to come back to York and Hull shortly. We've got, as you can see here. Uh, the black lines are the existing UK railway network. There it is. Very nice, isn't it? Uh, those black lines, lovely. So you can see our, our bit of railway there. That's, as I say, the former railway line, but not necessarily. Uh, basically, the point I want to make, let's, let's go back to our slides. Don't just reuse old railway alignments. Well, why is that? Well, let's have a look. Let's go to York first. So it's coming out of York, and I've done a bit of a... I think I've done a thread. I did a pointless perambulation along this line. So... You can walk along this, there's a nice path, and you can see where the railway used to go. But very rapidly, you come into a problem. And it's not the little nature reserve here that you'd have to sort of move the fence for to put the railway line in. It's the fact that the railway line has been used for a link road. So already you've got a problem. So to reuse the existing alignment, you've got to do something about this link road. And there's not a lot of space. You've got some industrial units. Okay, but you could, you could squeeze something in. You could maybe move, shift the, ro the road up. But that starts getting very disruptive. And actually, this area is kind of quite a, an important area from an ecological perspective. So you've got to think about uh, ecological. A good resource is to go onto Magimap, Magic Map, which has all of the triple SIs. It has ancient woodlands. It has, I think, actually, it might not have ancient woodlands. But it does have, because ancient woodlands are made up kind of fairly dubious uh, 
kind of uh, designation. It does. It'll have all the strategic areas. Uh, sorry, the special areas of conservation. So the SACs. It'll have a load of the useful sort of um, uh, kind of all of the different sort of ecological designations, and they're useful for knowing what you have to dodge. Um, so those. That's something that again, if you're looking at your railway, that's something you have to think about. Another thing you have to think about is not bulldozing. 20 people's houses as is what exactly what you'd have to do if you reinstated the line as is so you can see all it's just it's not it's a non-starter uh, this bit's funny because they use it as a car park for the porter cab this is this is porter cabins head, head international hq here it's quite something isn't it look at that um they build they build porter cabins here yeah that's where they build porter cabins anyway okay yes at this point it's all free and good but then that leaves you the problem of, okay, if you then want to use the existing track bed at that point, you're going to have to introduce a really weird kink to get around Huntingdon, at which point you realise, ah, so what you need to do is probably instate some sort of junction and then run the railway alongside the bypass. Well, okay, that's fine. Then what does that mean if you end up... Uh, firstly, that changes the equation with Earswick, because you'd think, actually, it makes sense to have... Sorry, Haxby. It makes sense to have uh, a station. Uh, you'd have a station in Earswick as part of the commuting into into York. Uh, anyway, at that point, you realise that you need to draw a new uh, alignment, and and so you're probably going to end up with. And this is where you can start having some fun. Probably going to end up with having. Actually, let me just make sure I'm in the right folder here. Lovely. Some sort of railway alignment, and this is very rough at the moment. That's going to basically do something like this. So for starters, you're going to do something fairly rough. Uh, there it is. Um, and then maybe uh, at, at that point, perhaps you're going to tie in with, uh, with a kind of a, a kind of a bit, bit of reversing geometry here, whatever. And then onto some sort of straight past this house. And then you have to do something else later. So and essentially, when you start doing crane easting in Google Earth, by the way, this is Google Earth Pro. Free to download, I think, now. I think it's just anyone can get it. It used to be that you had to do something fancy for it, but I think anyone can get it, download it now, which is nice. Um, what I'd recommend is you start drawing lots of these. So well, what else could you do? Well, maybe maybe if we if we have a, have a look over here, um, maybe we could have uh, an alternative could be, well, maybe you, you, you follow the bypass uh, down through. Uh, okay, you'd have to deal with the roundabout, but maybe then, uh, actually probably best to do it this side right so you'd have to work out some form of geometry to connect up here uh, but already you know you, you, you're making a bit of a mess anyway uh, and then maybe what do you do okay then you know lovely and then connect it up and obviously curves and transitions are something you have to think about we'll talk about those very briefly so so here you go so you've got a bit of one another thing you want to do is minimize the number of fields you gobble up because those cost money uh, so the fewer fields you can slice up the better so following existing field boundaries is quite a sensible thing to do. And what I'd, you just want to basically build up, you, you want to do lots of these. So the way I uh, do, the way that, uh, ignore this junction, by the way, obviously, I'm a P-way guy. Obviously, this junction involves something quite a lot more complex than this. So, you know, you'd be looking at probably something more like uh, uh, kind of that. And then obviously that leads you to the problem of, uh, of a curve smashing through this junction and all sorts of questions that... What you need to do is draw lots of these. So when I do the when I, when I when I kind of prep these and actually do alignments, I draw dozens and dozens of lines, and you end up with a kind of the obvious dense roots, and that includes straight lines between towns. The obvious dense roots start kind of availing themselves pretty quickly, 
Um, so you can start you, you start getting an idea. So this this is this is horrible geometry, by the way. You want to avoid these sorts of reverses when you do a railway. So what you might end up actually is here. You'd have, for example, a uh, something more like this. Oh, the house is gone. Sauce pals. Uh, you perhaps maybe do something. Uh, so if we do, let's let's do a bit of let's do a bit of this. Something more like this, and then at that point you sort of connect in. Okay, that's a bit of a jumble. Don't put reverse curves in. So obviously then you need to. Whenever I do these, I need to then tidy them up, sort of get a bit of a straight. Yeah, that's a straight, and then work out what my geometry is actually going to do. Um, now I have the advantage, admittedly, that um, I have the, the, the advantage that I then go into my actual track design tools and start mucking around. You know, I can export these in from uh, into a shape file, which I then bring into CAD, which makes my life nice and easy. So what I'm going to do now is explain the process that I did, uh, that I followed to create the North Pennine main line, which I did a while back, if you remember. Uh, which should be in here. Uh, do, 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 do. What was it? Pen, per, mm, mm. Let's just find that. Penrith Teesside, that'll be the one. And there's probably a big old pile of scratchy lines. Yes, there are. Good. Actually, not even all the lines that I used. So, um, yeah, there we go. That's some existing railway lines, some proposed railway lines, and then the snarl between them. Ah, yeah, proposals and bits. So if I get rid of all the bits, you can sort of see what my proposed alignment is. If any of you have seen it, it's on Twitter. Um, uh, it sort of involves going right away from Darlington up to the West Coast Main Line. Uh, there we go. I think I used Darlington as my zero milepost for this. I'll stop moving around so quickly, sorry. Anywho, you can see there are quite a few different lines coming in, and you can also see that I have not followed the existing railway alignment for a variety of reasons. Uh, including Barnard Castle reasons, such as uh, getting through Barnard Castle through you know the existing line would be a nightmare, um, and you could probably do better nowadays actually. So I, you can see that I've adopted a, a smoother, uh, flatter, uh, okay, slightly more engineering-heavy alignment in terms of what that bridge will look like. But anyway, you know it's all good fun. So, oh anyway, right, I've natted for a while. That was Arthur Dent's house. Yeah, it's gone. It's gone. Uh, Dave Shepard, if you did cut and cover underneath New Year's where you could still have a station there on Huntingdon. Yeah, the trouble is cutting, that's, so that's a rule that we've got later, is don't start out with fancy ideas like cut and cover and uh, big long bits of tunnel through urban areas. You can add those later, as part, but don't start with those. Start with, okay, if I was going to make the most, kind of with, aim for the basic two-track railway alignment, where would I stick it without going for crazy tunnels and all sorts? So... When I started this, I, first of all, I did bring up, there's a, there's a really good um, KML of all the former, of, of a good pile of the former railway lines, uh, this massive unsorted folder of disused railway lines like this. This is quite useful to save you draw, redrawing KML, uh, kind of redrawing scribbles everywhere. So that's quite useful. Um, I'll try and find that and put the link up. If I can't, I'll do a Dropbox link and everyone can download it because it's quite useful. So then I copy the ones that are basically along the corridor that I want to satisfy. Particularly through urban areas, you will find yourself following former railway alignments, and that's fine because you're generally going a bit slower through urban areas because you're on the approach to a station. So, um, so you can see that the okay, the line isn't particularly good when you zoom in. So uh, we can kind of get rid of that for now. Um, you can see there we are. There's the the line following through. The, this thick line actually is the one that I've gone through AutoCAD and then spat out. But 
uh, not AutoCAD, sorry, MicroStation, and then done my actual railway alignment design. And you can see I've tried to maximize uh, straights. I've got rid of former, so, so you can see there's a bit of a curve here. I've got rid of that. These are the sorts of things that you do, and it depends on the speed. So you don't need to do that sort of thing if you're aiming for a 100-mile-an-hour railway. Um, but one of the things you can do, which is very, which is a, a useful idea, is to understand what sort of curvatures you need for given speeds. And that's where the Permanent Rail Engineering Toolbox comes in. Hooray! Uh, I'm going to have a breath of, uh, of, of moisture in just a sec. Um, yes, cut and cover means bulldozing all those houses. So if you're going to do a board tunnel, um, basically only a massive high-speed rail project can justify that, or a high-density metro one. Um, if you're going for a regional railway or a rural railway, don't bother doing big tunnels other than ones in rural areas where you're potentially paralleling an existing one. You'll struggle to justify it. Um, that's, there are some common sense things that are kind of hard to describe all at once, but chuck me, chuck me queries um, and, uh, and, and I'll, I'll try and address them. Uh, is this all just really an elaborate Dominic Cummings joke, asked Richard Smith. Uh, yes, it absolutely is, yes. Um, can confirm. Sarah Noble uh, is making Gotham curve references. She doesn't see why you'd need a curve radius larger than 50 meters. Uh, I do see this a lot. There are two ish two things that you must avoid on your uh, on your sort of crane easter lines. One of them is very tight curves because uh, you know it looks, railways can't kink. They they can't do kinks. Um, and the way to actually draw a curve, the way to kind of draw a curve is by getting a uh, what I'd recommend is by with this thing here, the measurements and then get meters up. Where are we? Let's get meters. So if I want to do a curve, so I can do right here we go. So that's a. In fact, let's let's do one from. Yes. Let's do. So if I know there's a curve here, I'm going to press this here. Measurements meters. Put this here. Put this here. Right. So. Start my curve is here. What is that, 907, so I need it to be a radius. For example, I need a radius of 1,000 meters, so there we are. I've got roughly 1,000 meters. Here we go. I'm going to do another one, which is, if I press that here, and click, make sure your measurements, and put it here. And if I want another 1,000 meters, then if I want a 1,000 meter radius curve, and that's roughly it. That is my thousand meter radius curve, and you can, you know, you can depending on how elaborate you want your curve to be, you can maybe add another one. But this is my top trick for doing proper sp speed defined curves in Google Earth. So we want to go to a thousand. Uh, there we go. That'll do. And so you can, at that point, you can either use your imagination, or you can. So you can either join the dots, which is obviously not particularly imaginative, or you can do better than that. You can sort of. There we go. This gives you your 1,000 meter radius curve. There we go. So that was fairly straightforward. So that, that gives, you your, gives you some curvature there. Very nice. Uh, it doesn't have to be perfect because you can fix it later. But you can see, if you, if you want to make it really perfect, you can add lots and lots and lots in. Happy days. So that's how to do that. But uh, let's delete these because reasons. Uh, delete that, yes. Uh, delete that, yes. And then delete that, yes. We've had a very good question from David Shepard. Are gentle curves on slower railways better in some ways? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So that's exactly what I'm going to start talking through when we get the toolbox up. So this is this is the permanent rail engineering uh, toolbox, and there are a few, variety of different tools here. So 
The first uh, one is the most important, which is the curve design uh, kind of tab. But there's also some useful distance rules, so you know some conversions from various bits and pieces. Uh, some of these you will not make any sense because they're for data sets that I use in my day-to-day -day work. So this this is a, a spreadsheet I use every day when I'm doing the day job, well, mostly. Um, but you can have useful things like converting from uh, decimal miles into yardages, yardages into kilometers, which is a very useful one. Um, scale distances, so 12 millimeters at, at end gauge, I believe that is, 1 to 160, uh, gives you 1.92, but that is probably me checking how much a uh, six foot needs to be on an end gauge railway, frankly, 12 millimeters, there you go. Uh, it's a lot wider than that when you see most models. So all sorts of different useful things, you know, converting chains to yardages, blah, blah, blah. Gradient tools, this is about the vertical alignment. So for example, this box here is, so for 100 miles an hour, um, this gives me the vertical radii, so the equivalent, so when you connect up uh, vertical, so this is in profile, uh, vertical alignments are made up of lots of uh, straight elements, sort of straight grades, and we connect these up with vertical curves. And each of these vertical curves gives a vertical acceleration for people traveling in the train, and these are defined by some equations, and this then gives you an equivalent radius that that curve, that vertical curve has to be. Uh, and so, you know, for 100 miles an hour, that ends up being, you know, a 20 kilometer radius curve to have your desirable 1% G. Um, you know, obviously, that can get a lot tighter down to exceptional values, but you're going to feel that. Whereas down at, you know, 25 miles uh, an hour, then obviously your, your vertical curve radii are much, much uh, uh, tighter, shall we say. But there are a few other things like changes in height over gradients and... Um, you know, intersecting gradient changes, one-in conversions, so converting from a, a one-in value to a, to a percent gradient. That's useful for any of you who like looking at road signs that do that. Uh, yes, Lewis, you're right. This, this is the time to insert the permanent way clips. Uh, there, is a YouTube, there are YouTube videos about this, this sort of stuff, which I can recommend. Uh, what else? Yeah, so there's some other stuff about compensated equivalent gradients through curves. So that's for like things like freight trains. If you have a, a, a a gradient plus a curve that adds a lot of extra work for a freight train to have to do so essentially it, you, you, it reduces your your kind of minimum compliant gradient that you need so you, your gradient has to be flatter for the train to actually be able to traverse that these are all the sorts of things i have to think about in my day job anyway the, the curve tools are quite useful so you've got different radii uh, calculations for versine calcs uh, vertical stagger for me when i'm doing my vertical profiles uh, converting super elevations, so that's cant, into degrees. So 5.7 degrees is the maximum cant angle you'll see. Uh, uh, and exception, in exceptional circumstances, you'll see 180 millimeters, which is just under 7 de uh, degrees. That's uh, quite something. Uh, so, yeah, some, some stuff about S and C, so switches and crossings, all sorts of good fun stuff. Anyway, I'm not going to talk about that too much because it's, it's kind of dry. However, and I'm happy to answer questions specifically on Twitter, there's some speed tools. There's some tools about stressing that are still in development, actually. Most importantly, our curve tools. So if we've got 100 mile an hour railway, press 100 in there. Running speed, 100 miles an hour. Lovely. We then go in, so to design our curves, so let's ignore transitions and all this fancy stuff. Just look at this box here, the, the M and N columns. If we want to know what a curve that allows that speed is, what we need to do is flat either, you put this cant up to maximum, which is 150, so you can see here it goes yellow if it's an issue. Um, 110 is fine, so 100, uh, you can see that's fine. But 150 is the allowable maximum cant. So 100 miles an hour, uh, 
essentially, you, that's fine. A 1250 meter radius curve is acceptable with this cant um, and with this cant efficiency. And actually, this box here gives you, uh, recommends actually that you can have 135 millimeters of cant here and it's fine. Um, the red boxes here have appeared because the transition length of 80 meters is barbarically short and you'll literally, at this, at this speed, you'd throw a train into a tree. Um, but we won't worry about transitions at this point. There is a permanent way episode which you can go on and watch that um, and un understand all about transitions and about all about cant as well. But this toolbox is what you can download and muck around with to understand what your radius ne radii need to be. So even at 60 miles an hour, put this down to 60, um, you can see here the recommended cant is zero. And that's fine, 1250 meter radius curve, zero cant. That's just as was asked earlier, um, just as was asked earlier uh, by, I think it might have been David actually, David Shepherd. Uh, you can have curves and ideally you have curves with no cant. This is the optimum situation because you're reducing the amount of wear, you're reducing the whole life cost of the asset. Uh, everyone wins, it's also easy to build and maintain. So this tool you can download, and this allows you, in combination with the trick I just showed you with the straight lines to draw your curves, allows you to start drawing some realistic-ish track geometry, which is good. Which I also believe was the next point on my um, Mimic Real Railway Geometry. So number five, Mimic Real Railway Geometry. That's what the Permanent Rail Engineering Toolbox is for. It's there for you to play with. Um, go on, what's, what's happening in the chat? Uh, let's see, are we being trained up as permanent way designers on the slide? I'm literally training an army of permanent way engineers. I, this feels like it kind of puts me out of a job and reduces my salary, but actually we have a massive skills shortage. So hopefully maybe one or two of you might be inspired to come and do this thing for real. Because what I'm describing here is broadly what my job entails, although I don't get to do new railway lines very often. Master Trams asks, what is Kant? It's a very good question. Very briefly, it's where we tilt. So if you've got two rails here on top of a sleeper, for example, through a curve, we can tilt that over to balance the lateral forces of a train going through a curve at speed. That's all I'm going to say on that. There's a permanent way episode uh, that you can, it's on my channel that you can go and watch that explains it very clearly. And there's some discussions about jerk going on in the chat. Very nice. Yeah, tilt through a corner. It's basically like when you're on a road, you see it tilts over as well when you go through a curve. Similar thing. Right, let's go through the chat. Uh, JRail1992, are we assuming that whilst being a Korean Easter, you only play with standard gauge track, or can you experiment with narrow gauge? Uh, good question. Actually, the Permanent Rail Engineering Toolbox does have uh, an, op an option for you to change the track gauge constant down here, which you'll have to calculate yourself using the, the rules um, for different track gauges, broad or narrow, uh, but you can change all these numbers uh, by changing the track gauge constant. So, good question. Oh, nice, nice one. Um, what else have we got going on? Uh, are you going to be doing Craney's OLE tips at any point? No, that's that's for Gary to do when Gary starts uh, OLE Natter at some point. Are there any obvious things that would make OLE infrastructure difficult? That is a better question. Proximity to things, um, bridges, proximity to, to, to things like level crossings. There are things you can think about with OLE, yeah, that, that is... Complicated junctions, uh, yeah, th those sorts of things. Uh, proximity to other OLE features on the railway where you're joining in as well. So you know, things like neutral sections that are placed, although they're not a stopper, uh, they're certainly something that make it more complicated and expensive. Uh, lots of excellent explanations of Kant going on in the chat. Love that. Good work. Um, Graham Howarth, no, you gave an excellent description of, uh, what was that? Jerk, jerk, oh crikey. So. You're doing some integration of, sorry, some 
yeah, some integration of so so from the change in uh, yeah the change in position in relation to time is speed, the change in speed relation to time is acceleration, the change in acceleration relation to time is jerk, and the change in jerk in relation to time is jounce. I don't know what jounce is, but it is something that we have to an analyze for our transitions. Uh, let's have a look. Metric or imperial? When you're designing anything that is anything, always use metric because imperial makes zero sense. You'll notice that I have a lot of converters here for converting from imperial into uh, metric and then back into imperial again. The only time I use imperial is when I'm describing where things are to maintainers. Uh, for the most part, I will use a design change. Anyway, we're getting distracted. That's design, not crane easting. Um, let's come back to Google Earth Pro and let's look at let's look at our bit of railway. So what else have I done uh, for this bit of railway? So so you know I, I put in my alignment. I had some nice straights. You want to maximise straights? Oh yeah, I was in the process of saying two things that are bad, wasn't I? Number one, tight curves. Number two, really flat curves. They are also bad. I often see crane easters doing things like this, where you have a, a line and it goes like this, and it's like a huge big curve. Uh, with like 20, 30 kilometer radius, and it's just not realistic, you know. Um, this you can see here is actually a series of straights and then flat curves, straight and then flat curve. So if you've got, and this one is a, a tighter curve, but a really long one. Um, long, kind of very, very flat curves are just not realistic. They're not installable. Uh, in fact, when you're doing your curve design, what you want to do, this is getting a bit techy now, but I'll give you the la this is the last nerdy point on it, which is you need to think about verse signs because that's how track gets maintained and in indeed installed. So when you have a very small verse sign of like 0.5 millimeters, you've got a radius of about 100,000 meters. That's already getting very, very, very small. And actually, the smallest radius that you want to see out on on the railway, certainly for a, a, a ballasted track, is more like um, is more like uh, about 25,000 meter radius. Anything, and honestly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want you to be proposing anything more smaller, really, than ten thousand, which is uh, five millimeter radius. So, ten thousand meter radius curve is pretty flat, and high speed lines obviously implement kind of flatter curves than that. But for a regular crane Easter railway, the chances are the flattest radius you want to be using is ten thousand meters. Right. So, what's next on our list of bullet points? Oh yeah, mimic real railway geometry. Ah yeah, the last one. Well, the second last one, which is mimic. Which is slap a cost on it and use big numbers. Uh, yeah. Uh, Lewis Cott is going 25 kilometer curve. Hmm. Yeah, they do exist on um, HS2-ish. These are the numbers you need if you want to put a cost on it. And indeed, that's what I did when I was doing the Northern Pennine Mainline. So I looked at how much railway there was going to be, um, which is, uh, there's about 84.5 kilometers uh, of kind of center line length. So I then obviously that needed to be doubled for single track kilometers. But what I'd assume is about 20 million pounds per single track kilometer. That's quite a conservative estimate of cost, but it accounts for expensive and cheap bits. It doesn't include major, major structures, but your standard overbridge and underbridge and things like that, culverts and what have you, are generally included within that. Um, if you want to shove electrification in, um, I again use a conservative estimate of 2 million uh, single track kilometer, although again, it should really be cheaper than that. Um, and then, what you then need to think about is station. So if you have a station, what I generally do is say 20 million quid a station. I know that sounds like a hell of a lot, but again, it accounts for where perhaps you have a cheaper station and perhaps you have a more expensive one. If you look at how much stations cost, they do cost around about that much. It's very expensive. This then gives you numbers. 
and we're not we're crane easting so in crane easter land we need to be not quoting numbers that are smaller and going to get bigger we need to be quoting numbers that are bigger and are going to get smaller with more detailed design uh, stk sorry is single track kilometer so a two-track railway you need to double your, the length of your railway to get um, the number of single track kilometers so it's a good way of normalizing infrastructure costs anyway those are 20 million per single track kilometer and 20 million per station they're easy numbers to remember um, and it's a good way of you sense checking um, there's a good way of you sense checking other people's railway proposals as well because if they don't meet these rules uh, if they don't broadly cost this much the chances are they're pulling your leg there are method that there Owen O'Neill very accurately says do network don't network rail have a whole set of spreadsheets for costs the, the, the it's the method of rail measurement um, developed by some people who will remain unnamed on this uh, feed however um, those are too detailed we're doing crane easting based on Google Earth it, we'd be kidding ourselves if we start quoting more accurate things like going into detail about oh, how many bridges how many this that and the other the reality is that we just aren't going to that level of detail at this stage. Maybe in part two or part four of uh, how to be uh, an engineer's guide to being a better crane easter, we might get there. But frankly, at this level, 20 million a single track kilometer and 20 million a station is about the level you're going to be looking at. Um, yes, so that is, that, that's your numbers. Oh yeah, don't do anything too fancy. So it's a very good point uh, that someone else was raising about cut and cover tunnels through a town. Yeah, that's a fancy thing. Don't do that. Uh, much as it might be a novel solution that you could think about, the reality is if you've dug, if you've bulldozed those houses, you might as well just put the railway there and not cover it back up again. Um, so fancy things like tunnels, like uh, you know, trying to suggest crazy, crazy sort of novel things that don't exist on the conventional railway or or seem a bit zany, or perhaps are confined to specialist metro railways when you're proposing something like a local railway connection. Don't do those things. Certainly not at Crane Easter level. But those are my, those are my seven reasonably rapidly made up top tips. Um, we've already blown the hour, but you know, it was inevitable, wasn't it? Uh, all I can say is any, any, those, those are the key points. Uh, what was the next? Oh, yeah, there's potential for part two in the future. There probably is going to be one. Any questions, folks? Any thoughts? While you think about that, I'm going to shove another, speed, another um, spreadsheet up, which is the one that I did for the North Pennine mainline. And this looks at, um, this is actually what we call a speed table. So this is where you have lengths of elements, the speed of the train going through them, the radius, the cant, and then a lot of other things that I need as a, as a designer. But what's good about this is it allows me to create a speed profile, a very, very rough one, um, and one that you'd need to exaggerate, you need to multiply by, you know, uh, you know, extend it by 50% to get more like a, what the timetable would look like. But it does allow me to look at times and how long it takes to, to traverse the railway from one end to the other. And it allows me to spot areas where I've got uh, a reduction in speed that perhaps could be, you know, that would be worth bulldozing some things to avoid. So you don't want to have, you don't really, when you're designing a new railway, want to have huge, rapid, regular changes in speed because that wastes brakes, it wastes energy. It's, you know, it, anywhere you have changing in forces, whether those are lateral or, or longitudinal, means more maintenance and uh, a greater whole life cost. So ideally, you want, to min you, you want to keep a train going at a kind of a steady speed for as long as possible. So again, when you're doing your crane easting, you want to smooth out some of the kinks and uh, so that you can have a, a, a railway line that is quite a steady, smooth speed. So obviously here through, through Barnard Castle here, there's a, a bit of a bit of a kink that requires a reduction in speed but uh, I was proposing a station here 
So I didn't feel too bad about it. So if you are going to have a reduction in speed, you are going to introduce some additional curvature. Do it where there's going to be a station. That's my top tip. Um, right, so here we go. Oh, that, thank, very, very welcome to those who enjoyed it. This was absolute chaos. Do we need a Cray and Easter Discord server? Discord servers are a thing that I don't know anything about. Maybe, maybe there should be a Cray and Easter Rail Matter Discord server. Um, if anyone knows what a Discord server is and how to do one, uh, message me in the chat or indeed, uh, you know, I, I do have a there. I do have a Facebook page. So if you want to do it on Facebook, that's fine, and, and pin it to that page or have a chat under my Facebook page thing and start a long thread. That's also fine. I don't really have much control over it. Um, can that alignment go a bit close to the actual town? Asks uh, Muser Zero. Um, what Barnard Castle? The challenge is uh, firstly allowing for additional residential expansion, but also needing to leave a bit of distance for the alignment. You could go closer, but actually that would require a tightening of the curvature through there, um, and also the vertical, you know, the, the vertical alignment through here. The, the, the actual ground profile is bonkers. It's very hilly, so I was kind of leaving it pretty exaggerated to de to deal with that. You can see what the existing railway had to do to deal with the, that additional, you know, these curves were installed to, to get the vertical alignment where it needed to be, um, amongst other things. You know, it's actually a very hilly area. This is deceptively flat when you look at it uh, in Google Earth. If, oh, if I've got any, uh, I don't know, the hill shading on. Let's have a, have a quick look. Oh yeah, terrain. Oh, that would help, wouldn't it? Yeah, so, oh, I didn't want to do that either. Let's get rid of that. Yeah, so for here you can see that the, oh golly, yes. The, the terrain here is nuts, and so dealing with it, the advantage of an electric railway is you can be steeper than a non-electrified one, but you can see that to deal with that requires um, a bit of extra running length. And we'll maybe talk, in part two, we'll maybe talk about vertical alignments and how you account for them. Um, anyway, think about what it's for. Think about what it's for again. Don't just reuse old alignments. Don't just bulldoze everything. Mimic real railway geometry as best as you can. Uh, slap a cost on it and use big numbers and try to avoid doing anything fancy. And that's me seven top tips in part one of being a good craneista. Hopefully that was uh, interesting. People are asking for real NASA Discord servers. Well, okay, if you know how to do that, uh, DM me on Twitter and we'll and we'll work it out. And then I'll put the in the details on on a, <laughs> on the next real matter. Um, thanks everyone. That's been mild chaos. Uh, <laughs> I think, yeah, that people are pointing out that Cambridge North, which is a fairly basic three-platform station, was about 50 million. Yeah, stations are expensive. Big urban stations are clearly more expensive than our 20 million number. Um, at that point, probably the best thing to do is find a station that was built fairly recently, um, account for inflation. Um, yeah, find a big station that was built fairly recently that matches the one that you want to build, and then account for inflation in your uh, when you look at the numbers. Go to the Bank of England website and up, up rev it for uh, inflation, because things got expensive quick. Anyway, right, I think it's time to draw this to a close of some kind, given that it's seven minutes past eight and I'm recording a, well, there's your problem podcast in a few hours and I'm going to try and have a nap before then. Oh, anyway, so part two might be soon. Uh, if you enjoyed this and it wasn't a bit nerdy, feel free to give me feedback on whether this was um, not actually that interesting or quite dry or uh, not really very good in terms of audio or I don't know. Tell me things, feedback on this, because if we do another one, uh, I'll, I'll incorporate some more of your feedback and perhaps focus on one element and then we just do it. Actually, we didn't end up drawing one because time ran out. So maybe next time we're going to draw the line from York to Hull because we didn't do it, did we? Or York to Beverly. So maybe that's what the next one will be. Anyway, um, this was fun. Uh, I enjoyed it and, and I enjoyed having all of you along for the ride. Uh, all 100 of you who are joining us, um, which is very, very 
good of you to give up, give up your evening for this, eh? Uh, as ever, this is available on all of the good uh, downloady, podcasty sites. I need to, I need that square one as well. Yeah, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and the the square one. Um, uh, so what else? Oh yeah, that's right. To the Patreon people, you're brilliant. A uh, lot of love for all of you, um, particularly Chris Grayling. You know, big up Chris. Um, and yeah, if you want to just shove me a one-off, if you don't want to do a subscription thing, then PayPal um, is the way to do it. I might actually delete the Kofi off there. Um, give me some feedback. If, if any of you, have done, some of you on the chat, I think, might have done this for both, um, coffee and PayPal, uh, tell me which you prefer. I think PayPal might be a cleaner, easier system, actually, than, than coffee. Anyway, uh, that's not that exciting, particularly for people on the podcast who are, like, who are sitting on the tube, uh, you know, trying to get on with their life. Next time, next time is going to be a good one. This is going to be good. I enjoy guests, very much enjoy uh, guests coming on and telling us things because they know what they're talking about, unlike me. Uh, episode 26, how do sleeper trains work? We've got Edward Schofield off of, oh crikey, what's his Twitter handle? Uh, I can tell you in five seconds. Uh, let's have a look, shall we? It is uh, Capotreno Ed. Capotreno Ed uh, off of the Twitters is joining us. Um, to talk about sleeper trains, having worked on them for a very long time. So that's going to be really cool. As you can see, this is a it's a pillow, just in case people are wondering what the background is. I just thought I'd play it simple for a real natted background for once. Um, anyway, oh, let's, let's go big face. Whew. The only trouble with them... Um, the only trouble with, uh, with, with the singular ones is that I, I have to yammer on a lot. The solo ones, I have to just keep keep yammering it's got very dark outside hasn't it crikey i know i need new lighting uh it is the plan I, I, yes the links to the description very good point i will add the links to the description um uh yes so for the for the for the tools for the website where you can look at population density yeah good point i will do just that um in the meantime everyone thanks so much for watching we're only 10 minutes late that's not too bad um i will see all of you hopefully uh, next week when we're going to do, we're going to talk about sleeper trains. It's going to be brilliant. Uh, until then, cheerio. Don't forget to vote for progress. Cheerio.